This podcast is part of the Democracy Group. Hi, this is Adam. As I explained on last week's episode, I've been waiting to release today's interview about Alaska's adoption of top four nonpartisan primaries and ranked choice voting for almost two months. I recorded it about three weeks after the November election, but as we lurched from one democratic crisis to another, it never really felt like the appropriate time to post it. And I'll be perfectly honest, I'm not sure if this is the right time to release the episode either. We're all still grappling with the recent events, insurrectionists, many of whom appear to be white nationalists, storming the Capitol building, people dying, and the president getting impeached for the second time. But as you can tell, I decided to post the episode. Here are two reasons why. First, one of the main arguments for the reform that Alaska passed is that it would incentivize candidates and politicians to appeal to the majority of voters, not just the most dedicated partisans. And this appears to be working, maybe. As I record this pre-introduction, Alaska's Senator Lisa Murkowski is signaling that she is willing to buck the extreme wing of her party in order to hold the president to account. Of course, we'll see what happens, but that's a very encouraging sign for this reform. And second, it's a good opportunity to remember that democracy reform is possible, even against impossible odds. As you'll hear, the Alaska advocates overcame incredible hurdles to win this ballot measure. So as we move to fight for the For the People Act in Congress and more reforms in states across the country, I just want to keep that spirit with us, even in these incredibly bleak times. Oh, and one more thing. I'm not in love with the audio quality for this episode. I had to record it via Zoom. Yes, the dreaded Zoom call. But I hope you'll bear with it, and hopefully won't blame me too much for it. Okay, now to the real introduction for this episode. Welcome to Another Way, the podcast produced by Equal Citizens, a nonpartisan pro-democracy organization founded by Lawrence Lessig. This is Adam Eichen, the organization's campaigns manager. It's been a while, and I'm really glad to bring you another interview. Before we begin, as always, please consider supporting us on Patreon. With your support, we can keep this podcast going. To sign up, go to patreon.com slash equal citizens. That's p-a-t-r-e-o-n dot com slash equal citizens. Okay, now to the episode. Both the election and the year are all but over. While much of our collective focus for the past month has been on the president's absurd post-election litigation, the victories that were won on election day to advance our election systems have been largely ignored. As longtime listeners know, advocates have increasingly relied on ballot initiatives to pursue democracy reforms, and this year proved no different. COVID may have halted some ballot initiative campaigns, but there were a few that I was keeping my eyes on, in particular, those that would implement ranked choice voting in Massachusetts and Alaska. Unfortunately, the ranked choice voting measure in Massachusetts failed. 
And on election night, some saw the early returns in Alaska and declared that measure dead too. But as more votes were tallied, the collective mood shifted. It soon became clear that Alaska's advocates had pulled off a stunning victory, bringing the novel voting reform of ranked choice voting to a red state with a solid independent streak. This victory, again largely ignored by the media, sparked many questions for me. How on earth did they run this campaign during a pandemic? What kind of messaging was used to court Republicans? The list goes on. So to better understand how the campaign won, and to dig a little bit deeper into the ballot measure itself, because it contained more than just ranked choice voting, I spoke to two of the leaders on the campaign, Scott Kendall and Jason Gren. Scott was the counsel to the Yes on Two for Better Elections campaign. He is also an attorney at Holmes, Weddell, and Bearcott, and most recently served as the chief of staff to then-Governor Bill Walker. For decades, Scott has worked all across Alaska in a variety of legal, political, and consulting roles. Jason, on the other hand, was a campaign co-chair and communications consultant. He's a fourth-generation Alaskan, and he served in the Alaska State House of Representatives from 2017 to 2019, representing his district as an independent. But with that, let's begin the interview. Scott, thanks so much for joining us. Yeah, thank you. And Jason, welcome. Yeah, thanks for having me. All right, guys, so this is really going to be a really great conversation. Um, it's been about three weeks now since the general election, uh, and what, what, what a week it's been, uh, especially with the post-election absurdities in the presidential race. Uh, but we're not here to talk about those absurdities now. We're going to focus on the fact that, unknown to most, Alaska actually shocked the nation on Election Day by passing Measure 2. So, Scott, you wrote the measure. What is Measure 2, and why did you decide to dedicate your effort to it? Yeah, it's it's really, it's a three-pronged reform on making our elections better and more representative, giving more power to the voters. So the first thing it does is it goes from a, a closed party primary system to an open primary. Every candidate on the ballot, every voter gets the same ballot, and the top four move on to the general. It has a general election that's run by ranked choice voting. And we can talk about the details of that, but that's the term of art, ranked choice or instant runoff voting. And then the final component, um, Alaska being a significant but low population state, we constantly get money dumped into even our mayor's races, even our local state house rep races have immense amounts of money dumped on them. And so we included a provision to prohibit what we call dark money, which is ultimately money you don't know the actual source of. And we are going to, it's a statement to the nation that, you know, we can't stop you from spending your money in our elections, but we're going to know your name. And so it's really just about giving more information and power and choice to Alaska's voters. Uh, we trust Alaska's voters and Alaska, um, you know, sort of famously independent and shows that by the fact that 62 to 63% of us don't affiliate with either major party. And so creating a an election system that represents that will and that independence was sort of the target. And the reason was, um, you know, much like the rest of the country, even though we have mostly independents, our local government is is mired in the same ideological fights and gridlock that, that you see at the national level. And, and we're 
You know, Alaskans are sick of it. Right. And so, so Jason, you served in the Alaska State House for, for a bit and, and have a really good handle on Alaska politics. Why do you think that Alaska was so primed for this, you know, pretty um, structural reform? I mean, it really is changing the incentive structure and, and the way elections are conducted in the state. So, so what's your take here? Why was Alaska so primed for this? Yeah, you know, Scott mentioned, um, you know, the gridlock that's been happening in Alaska, and for the fat past, you know, four, five, six years, we have been at a uh, a crossroads as a state um, facing really significant economic challenges. And I got to I got to be a part of a group, a, a bipartisan coalition in the House that really was putting forward solutions. But we were stymied by uh, the Senate. Uh, we were stymied in, in other ways. And I think Alaska is ready. The, the, the voters, the residents, you know, the citizens of Alaska are ready for us to move forward, um, even though these are some tough uh, decisions that are going to have to get made. But I think time after time, they watched their representatives and senators go to Juneau. And not have the courage to move us forward because they were afraid of their own election or they were afraid of being primary. Um, you know, that, that term that's, you know, that someone's going to outflank me from the right or the left. And so I really have to kind of talk to my base and talking about taxes, talking about uh, uh, smart budget cuts, those are going to scare my base. And so I, I just can't do it if I want to continue to, uh, to win elections. And when I was serving as a, you know, I ran as an independent, um, uh, you know, Full transparency. I was a lifelong Republican, but but decided as a representative I wanted to serve people and not a party. And when I went door to door talking to people, people every, almost I mean every night, every every time I went talking to people said, you know, I'm more, I'm more concerned about the person I send to Juno, not the color of their jersey. You know that that sort of mentality. Of, we want people who are ready to to serve Alaskans, not not uh, not an R or a D that's next to their name. And so I think the the time just it was just kind of perfect timing with everything that was going on nationally and going on with our own state of people just saying, look, I'm 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 a voter, but I want to have more choices, more power. And when it comes down to it, um, anything that is going to uh, get the parties out of the way so that we can have solutions, let's give it a chance. Let's go for it. Um, and I think uh, you know Alaska, as you said, you know we kind of uh, maybe shocked the nation, but I don't think we shocked much of our state. Of, uh, of, uh, of approving this because there was a lot of a lot of people on both sides of the aisle who were ready to try something different um, and really give the uh, the power back to voters. Right, and, and so Scott, you were the chief of staff to uh, Governor Bill Walker, who was the former governor, and he was an independent. Uh, and uh, when he was running for re-election, uh, well, there was a lot of ballot splitting there, um, and it kind of was one of these absurd things that not a lot of people know. So I'm wondering, can you talk a little bit about that re-election campaign for your former boss and how that might have influenced your uh, your thinking around something like uh, ranked choice voting? Yeah, I mean, um, you know, there was um, earlier in my career, I was, I was uh, Senator Murkowski's attorney when she ran as a write-in candidate. So it was a little kind of preview of that was she ran a write-in campaign after losing the Republican primary against the Republican and the Democrat. And so that sort of, you know, early in my career calibrated my political thinking. And then um, midway through his term, Governor Walker asked me to come be his chief of staff, um, which I did. And I saw sort of the, you know, in addition to getting to work with people like Jason and and the bipartisan majority he was part of, um, I got to see the kind of the magic of having a cabinet that has Republicans, Democrats, nonpartisans in it. Like, it was literally like, you know, the NFL draft, and we could go around and say, this is the best commissioner of revenue we could get. Forget ideology. This is the best attorney general we can get. Forget ideology. Forget who donates to who, which candidates, which is the way those decisions are usually made. 
And, you know, we had um, some of the best partners in our cabinet and in our administration were Democrats working with Republicans. Um, and it was sort of incredibly magical and in, in how the Alaska Native population, which is um, you know, 20 to 25 percent of the population, was well represented in our administration, um, not for the first time, but I think for the first time so significantly that they were elevated above the parties in terms of being one of the people at the table. You know, you think about the Democrats and the Republicans and and when an administration comes in, you 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 know, you lop off all the heads, you know, and the Democrats replace all the Republicans and vice versa. And instead, we, you know, Governor Walker kept a number of good people who had been with the prior Republican administration, brought in some Democrats, and again, just got really focused on solutions for Alaskans. And then I watched that come down because, um, you know, there was a Republican challenger, as you'd expect, and a Democrat came in and said, I think there's an opportunity for me here in this three-way race. I'm going to shave off a bunch of support. And in a vice like that, um, there's no path to win. The, the, the way that Governor Walker won the first time was um, he and the Democratic candidate fused their campaigns. He Governor Walker stayed top of the ticket and the Democrat became lieutenant governor. And basically, um, if a dem- any Democrat willing to come in and be the spoiler made it so there was no outcome other than the Republican governor, current Governor Dunleavy, winning. Um, that didn't wasn't the direct um, cause of me working on this project, but it was certainly instructive. Um, but what I really saw... Um, and I saw this um, through Governor Walker, and I've seen it through other other public officials I've worked with, is our system rewards partisanship. The more partisan you are, the more likely you're to get your party's endorsement, and the more likely you are to have a shot on the general election. Conversely, as we saw with Governor Walker and we saw with some moderate Republicans who just got taken out this year, our system actually punishes statesmanship. The very things that the general election public wants a public official to do, work across the aisle if there's a good idea, don't, you know, don't attack people for nothing, you know, just basic civility and cooperation. Our current system punishes that. We saw, I think, five or six Republicans get primaried and taken out by the party specifically because they smiled at a Democrat, basically. And there's got to be a better way than that. You know, Governor Walker worked on things that were um, basically visionary of where we are now. The fiscal plan, um, the fact that the state needs to balance its budget, um, all the things he said were coming, um, and you know, quite frankly, the the broad majority of the public agrees on, don't matter in a two party environment. And when those parties come in like a vice, um, you end up with almost no base of support and no way through. I really want to highlight the absurdity of that 2018 campaign because it really was kind of, uh, like I said, absurd that the incumbent governor was squeezed out of the race. He had to drop out. Uh, because he was accused of uh, splitting the vote between, you know, on the left side of the aisle. Um, and under a ranked choice voting system, that's not something that uh, anyone can be accused of because it'll be the top four candidates from the primary, regardless of party, go into the general election. And voters get to rank their candidates in order of preference. And the person who's going to come out of that race will be the person with the majority of votes. If no one gets a majority after the first uh, ballot, uh, then the votes are reallocated according to second preference, start, uh, starting with the elimination of the last place vote getter. And, and so that's just a much more sane system, especially in a state like Alaska, where you know, there is this real streak of, of independent candidates. Um, and the idea, again, that the, the incumbent governor would have to drop out because he's being accused of vote splitting is just one of these stories of 2018 that I really didn't think got enough play. Because it was just, a, for me, embodied the absurdity of the, the current electoral system across the country. So let's move on a bit here 
What was the origin then, Scott, of the ballot initiative f- effort? Uh, you know, whose idea was it? When did the committee form? When, who, t- you know, were you the person who initiated it, who then wrote it, or did someone tell you to write it? Like, give, give me a sense of where it started. Yeah, so, you know, I sat down with the ideas because I thought, um, you know, my initial take on it was we just need an open primary because the way it was, um, Governor Walker couldn't actually as an independent even appear in a primary ballot. Um, he had the choice of re-registering as a Republican and probably getting taken out by a Republican because, you know, the party would be against you for having changed sides once before or trying to be a former Republican, now independent, running as a Democrat where, you know, likewise, you'll get taken out. So there was no path to the ballot for him and he couldn't even appear on the primary election ballot. He just has to show up by petition on the general. So all of these handicaps that are put in place and all of these disincentives for what we already saw was going to come which was they were going to attempt to take out any of the Republicans who cooperated. Um, And to some degree, the Democrats, a few of those happened as well. I was sort of completely focused on open primaries. And I looked at top two open primaries like they have in California, like they have in Washington, I think Oregon. Um, And the problem was, you know, our, our state, like many states, has been so gerrymandered that you know, at any given election, only out of, you know, 40 House seats, only seven or eight of them are at all competitive. You know, there's Democrat seats or Republican seats. And so what you're going to end up with was Democrat one and Democrat two and Republican one and Republican two and all these seats. And it really wasn't going to solve the problem. Right. So um, then I started gravitating towards, well, okay, well, let's have it be top three or top four. And then you get into the problem of the spoiler effect, you know, so I sort of evolved my way there. Um, and there were people in parallel working solely on the ranked choice voting part. I would I, I I talked to them, cooperated with them, and I thought they were missing the boat in that, well, you know, in a ranked choice voting system, if all you have is two lousy choices that the party spits out, you still haven't solved the problem. So we just kind of evolved there. Um, I certainly had a lot of help. I guess I was one of the people with that initial germ of an idea, and then I, I got in touch with smart people who helped me evolve it. And then once we kind of had a policy on paper, um, we scraped a little money together just to pull it, just to see, like, is there any appetite for this? And we found there was. And then, um, you know, contact with people like Jason, who's, you know, been an independent legislator, has worked on ballot measures before, on ethics reform. I'd worked on ballot measures before and just kind of put a team together of just kind of Alaska first people. Um, and then we were fortunate enough, kind of like venture capitalists, to walk around with our idea and we actually got significant funding um, because people felt like we'd actually really stumbled on something. Right, right. So, so Jason, then give, give us a sense of, so what groups were part of this campaign? What, what did the coalition look like to get this passed? Because this is, uh, you know, one of the hardest parts uh, of, you know, like these reforms are very popular, but it requires explaining, especially for something like ranked choice voting. So it requires a good coalition. What was that coalition like? To, to just piggyback real quick on Scott's comments, when, uh, when I was in the legislature, someone had actually proposed a ranked choice voting bill. And I remember listening to it in a hearing, thinking this will never pass through a body of elected officials because this is a direct attack on how they are, how they are down here. And I just, and this was in 2017, I guess, and just kind of laughing, going, this is, this is going nowhere. And so to kind of see it now kind of go through a process where the, the citizens of Alaska said, no, we want to have this be a part of how we elect the people. Um, is, is really kind of cool to watch uh, watch it start and, and how it ended. You know, I think the coalition building to me is probably the most significant and inspiring part of this ballot measure. Um, 
fact, I was just sharing with someone the other day on our website, we have this list of supporters and it's, it's an amazing list of, I mean, of regular people who just care about our state to people who are serving in, who have served in the state legislature, who are, who are currently serving in the state legislature. Um, and then people, even nationally, people, you know, who have uh, supported uh, things like great choice voting and, and, and open primaries. And, you know, the, so the coalitions that kind of um, got built along the way, and Scott mentioned this, I think, you know, one of the most significant ones is reaching out and working with the Alaska Native population. Um, they, I think in so many times on statewide races, especially in ballot measures, uh, rural Alaska is forgotten about because it doesn't have huge you know, voting blocks as a, as a, as a center like Anchorage or Fairbanks here in Alaska, but they are, you know, uh, citizens just like us who live in the urban areas. And I think they are either a taken for granted or B just, uh, put to the side because they, they are seen not needed. And I know early on the, the co the, the committee and the people working involved, it was a big priority for us to continue to reach out and even start very small and just let people know this is happening. We'd love to hear from you. Till it got to the place that there was a, you know, our group is called Alaskans for Better Elections. Well, they started, you know, a Facebook group, Alaska, Alaska Natives for Better Elections. You know, they, they, we had all sorts of different groups. And it was, um, to me, that was a very inspiring and just cool thing to, uh, to watch grow from um, just conversations to really making an impact on the race. Um, it kind of gave us the, uh, you know, the open door that we needed to talk to people in rural Alaska where the opposition probably did what people usually do. Like I mentioned about measures, just kind of forget them, not talk to them. Um, and I, it did them a disservice. And I think that was probably one of the things that, that brought us across the board. But I know we had fishermen for better Alaskans. We had, you know, all sorts of little fun groups. And uh, it was neat to kind of see just the grassroots movement to it. And, um, you know, Alaska is obviously a huge state. Um, and with COVID, we couldn't really have a lot of meetings and events. And having these small uh, grassroots groups and a variety of groups, um, I think to me that was really the, the the pivot point where it got us across the finish line. I definitely want to come back to what it was like to organize during during COVID because that's something that reformers across the country are still grappling with, and it's very very challenging. Um, before we get more into the campaign, Scott, getting this on the ballot was not necessarily easy. Uh, there were a good number of legal challenges. As the campaigns, as the committee's counsel, can you talk a little bit about the uh, the legal proceedings and kind of just take us through that story? Yeah, so we, we filed our ballot measure, um, I want to say it was August of, uh, gosh, just last year. Um, seems like a long time ago after COVID. Um, but we filed our ballot measure and then the state has 60 days to review and we knew we were up against it because you have to gather signatures and file before the next legislative session to get it on the ballot. And we had an administration that, you know, frankly, was openly antagonistic to what we'd filed. And so they came out um, and, and, you know, as preface to that, I will say I got these ideas together and I worked with probably the state's recognized, um, you know, best elections uh, systems attorney in the state. And she helped me draft it. We tightened it up. And the attorney general himself wrote the opinion and said, nope, we're not letting them gather signatures. It's unconstitutional. Here's why. Um, so we were under the gun. So we had to get in front of a superior court judge. We had to expedite everything um, to her everlasting credit. I mean, she turned around major litigation in 30 days. 
and wrote a beautiful opinion in our favor and said, give them the booklets, let them start gathering. They attempted to petition the Supreme Court to stop us from gathering, you know, everything about just kneecapping us, stopping us, running out the clock. The Supreme Court rejected that request. We gathered our signatures just under the wire, got them in, um, they're accepted, and then they took us to the state Supreme Court. And, you know, likewise at the state Supreme Court, we had a 5-0 decision that it was constitutional, it was going on the ballot. Um, But yeah, nothing came easy in this one. And, you know, they only had to win once. We had to win every time. We had to win in court, then win gathering signatures, then win in the Supreme Court, and then, you know, win the election. And so um, it's in retrospect, it feels great because everyone loves an underdog story. You know, you take on the you take on the powers that be and literally at every moment they're aligned against you. Republicans are many Democrats are all the kind of tools of the system are being used uh, to our detriment, and we still somehow weathered it and came through. And so the main legal challenge, or at least the one, the, the, the big one at the end, was whether or not this violated the single subject provision of the Constitution, right? The idea that because this was, you know, this was a sweeping democracy reform bill that touched on the primary system, campaign finance, uh, and ranked choice voting, that it violated that single subject provision. But ultimately, the judge said, that's not a concern. Right. Yeah, the, the state's argument was unique and I, I dare say kind of made up um, because um, there's a single subject rule and it applies to legislation in the state. And um, I mean, the, as Jason knows, as a legislator, I mean, there are many, many bills that tackle criminal justice reform from 10 different angles, t- tackle the budget from 10 different angles. Um, as long as there's a cohesion, there's a single broad subject, those are OK. Our Constitution also says that the people's power by initiative is co-equal with the legislatures, with with certain carve-outs, but largely, and the state said in spite of that, no, this is different. Um, we 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 believe that somewhere out in the ether is a new rule that says we're just not going to let ballot measures um, have the same power that the that the legislature has. And the Supreme Court said basically, we've got 50 years of case law here on the subject. Give us a break. <laughs> um, it was it was a very strong decision in our favor. So ultimately, you know, the single subject being election reform, you know, the 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 actual the whole legislation being 20 some pages long and being contained in a single title um, out of the Alaska statutes. I think the Supreme Court, you know, reading reading between the lines of their opinion, they didn't think it was a particularly close call. Right. Uh, You know, that attack was, you know, the best they could come up with to keep us off the ballot. And it wasn't good enough. And it really did come down to the wire. I mean, it's amazing. I remember reading the news stories and being in touch with some folks that, I mean, you already had the signatures in hand before that final decision. So basically, right, is that correct? That basically you had already collected the signatures and you were actually already certified if the the Supreme Court, the Supreme Court of Alaska, the Superior Court said it was good. And you were already ready to go and ready to go to the ballot uh, and run that campaign. Um, So you were well prepared regardless or, you know, assuming the judge would would, uh, rule in your favor. Yeah, it, yeah, they had they had attempted the state had attempted to prevent us from getting the signature booklets and, and tried to put a, a stay on the judgment, which said hand them over. They failed at that, and so we did get the signatures. Um, but again, you know, kudos to the state supreme court. We briefed that thing in sixty days, had argument, and weeks later they gave us our decision. Um, actually, my supreme court argument in that case was the last time I wore a suit. It was just pre COVID. It was a uh, Late February, so last time I put a suit on. Hopefully, my suit still fit after COVID. But, um, uh, but at every stage, you know, the the wheels of democracy, the wheels of the system worked the way they're supposed to work. That no one can get into power and be above the law. 
And it was, um, you know, as part of the journey, a part of the story, I think it's incredibly refreshing that, yeah, the courts did the right thing at every step and the machinery worked the way it's supposed to work. So, but you, you mentioned COVID and I want to, I want to bring it back to, to what it's like to organize during COVID. And, and Jason, so, so, you know, you mentioned how difficult it was and how, you know, your ground operation was largely halted. Give us a sense of, of what it was like to organize because other ballot initiatives across the country were, you know, largely put on hold because they couldn't meet the signature requirements or, you know, maybe they went down, um, you know, beforehand uh, or they just, the organizers decided let's not do it this year. So what was it like? What were the main strategies used? And, you know, how did you, did you have any people going door to door? Yeah, you know, I think we recognize how lucky we were to have signatures gathered by January and kind of have that end of it wrapped up before, um, you know, the, the COVID pandemic hit. And I mean, it was talking to other reformers around the country. It, it was it was disheartening to see so many great measures kind of stop in their tracks because they had to stop. They couldn't get the signatures in time. And so we we recognized um, when that was happening, like, whoa, we uh, we're really lucky. And, and two, we're going to have a spotlight put on us. I mean, we, we knew that um, because, you know, if uh, one-tenth of the ballot measures are going to make it this year and we're one of them, then we're going to get some extra attention. And so we got to, you know, do this right. Um, in fact, we had a, there was a beer tasting festival in Anchorage, I think in January or February. We said, okay, this is probably going to be the first of, you know, a hundred different events that we're going to end up doing because, you talk to ranked choice voting uh, people who have done this before, like, oh, you need beer tastings and cookie tastings and all sorts of these things to kind of get people kind of, uh, you know, in, in, in the, uh, you know, the flow of ranking things and understanding how the, the voting works. I, that, you know, that was it. That was our, like, our one big event, and we didn't really get to do too many more. You know, we were, at, um, we were lined up to do festivals, lined up to do state fairs, lined up to do, uh, you know, everything, uh, you know, in the summertime in Alaska, people are outdoors. And so that's where you get to meet people. You get to talk to people one-on-one. You get to go door knocking. And all of that stopped. And um, as a candidate, um, you know, I really relied on going door-to-door and talking to people face-to-face. Um, if I couldn't have done that, you know, I there's no way I would have been able to, you know, pull off the victory. And, and so I think at the beginning, those first spring, March, April months, we kind of thought, okay, this is just a, you know, a little challenge for us that by, by July we'll be okay and figure this out. And, it, and obviously it, it never came back. It never, um, we were never allowed to do the big events or allowed to do any gatherings. And so uh, we had a lot of, uh, a lot of play in the digital media space. Um, our website is, I've had so many different people tell us how, you know, just kudos to how our website was that perfect balance of a lots of information, but not in the weeds and, uh, you know, very easy to use. Um, but not elementary. And so, I mean, I think we put a lot of focus on, on you know, social media and, and uh, websites and digital ads and things like that. But gathering people, talking to people from a, a state like Alaska, where, you know, you can't just drive to a lot of these, you know, anything off the road system, you have to fly to and, and flying was a challenge. And meeting with large groups was a challenge. And so, um, you know, the, the experts we've become on Zoom and uh, everything else, you know, uh, you know, and, and, and phone and text and everything was relied on in, in probably tenfold what we probably would have had to do if we would have gone the traditional route. Did it hurt us at the, at the end of the day in terms of, you know, our, our, our vote count? Perhaps, you know, not being able to have those one-on-one stories, talk to people, have big events to be able to explain what we're doing. 
Um, you know, ultimately we're, we're very happy that we crossed the finish line victoriously, but, um, you know, it, it, it definitely was a challenge and it, um, I think in other States might've been easier to do something like this, to be able to, to travel, to be able to have billboards, to be able to, to be in a, a bigger media market, to share what you're doing. Um, there was a lot of just hard work and grassroots type of work that had to be done, but, but also the big emphasis, um, you know, in the digital space, it, um, it's a it's a kudos to the team and and the 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 passion of, of everyone who was who was on board, right? And and it was a very narrow victory, so all of that hard work really did pay off. I mean, that was largely the probably the margin of all the elbow grease that you put into organizing during COVID and in a very difficult situation of doing it virtually all digitally really did pay off. And it does, you know, go to show that when, you know, our listeners today, and, and if you read it in the news, right, that these reforms pass, it's not that they're just put on the ballot and they just magically pass. These are really very intensive efforts, especially during COVID. And so I wa- here's another question for you both. I, I want both of your takes because I think that you'll have different perspectives here. One of the most challenging parts for reformers is appealing to uh, both sides of the aisle. And you guys are in Alaska, and you know, as as you already prefaced here, it, it's a very different state politically. Um, but at the same time, you know, what messages were you using, and how did you connect with uh, Republican voters who? at least in the lower 48, um, are usually kind of the uh, the ones that are harder to get on board with reform, not because they don't agree with it, but because there are a lot of, you know, party leader cues that often will say, vote against this. Um, because what we find is that voters of all political stripes want these reforms, but oftentimes there are roadblocks to getting people to listen. Um, because we're all on the same team here and we all want a better democracy, but it's challenging. It's challenging to get past the, the media bubbles and the other ways that divide us. And so, Scott, I want to start with you. What, what, what is your take on this? How, how did the campaign reach Republicans? What, what was your messaging? Yeah, I mean, one of the most successful things we did, and I think we, we succeeded at this until maybe the very end when really the attacks started to pile on us, but we kept it nonpartisan the whole time. Um, one thing I can be very proud of is every presentation, if I was presenting to a progressive group, I wasn't walking in there saying, and your guys are going to win. And right. I was, and likewise with, you know, perhaps, um, you know, maybe resource, uh, you know, resource development type groups or, or more conservative groups or Republican groups, I was saying the same thing. I was saying all this system does is make the outcome more representative of what the most voters want. That's it. You're going to have to trust the voters with me if you want to support this, and, but I'm not going to shine you on. I can point to I mean, I could point to an uh, an aberrant outcome where the Democrat won because of vote splitting. I could point to the same for Republicans, right. but that wasn't the point. I was like, you know, don't look backwards, look forwards. How do we want decisions made? And do we want a very slim minority of people, the most partisan minority, absolutely in the driver's seat of our elections? Because that's where we are. Five to 10% of the electorate drives who's going to win all these races because they show up for the primaries. And is that a good system? And so I'm proud that we kind of kept that all along. Now, of course, you know, we got attacked again and again, and people made it partisan towards the end. Um, but, you know, I think that was the key to our success. But I mean, you know, you know, in retrospect, it's sort of amazing that we pulled it off, because even though there's a ton of independence in Alaska, I mean, think about the fact that the, the Republican and Democratic candidates for governor in 2018, both came out against us vociferously. Now, when you have that and, you know, together their support added up to, you know, 95% of the vote, you'd think, well, holy smokes, how do you get through that? 
And what it shows you is a lot of those people were holding their nose and voting in the system they got, but you know, wasn't necessarily a resounding uh, support for either of those. We were also the only election to my awareness that um, a no vote was endorsed by Alaska Right to Life, the, the leading anti-abortion group, and, and Planned Parenthood. They both said vote no. Why? You know, it's got nothing to do with choice. I mean, I could make a fair argument that considering 65 plus percent of Alaskans identify as pro-choice, this is actually a good reform for women's rights. But the fact that both of them weighted in showed that all of these tools that are supposedly policy focused have been hijacked by partisan interests. Um, they, they went that direction because they got cues from the party leadership, the people who are in control, that this is what we want. And so we really built, you know, as Jason covered earlier, we built from the bottom up. We got a business leader. We got your eye doctor to endorse. And then we started getting mayors to endorse. And then we started getting um, state representatives. And you saw that result in our margins. You know, one of our big early endorsements was the Speaker of the House, Bryce Edgman, first Alaska Native Speaker of the House, you know, kind of an icon in rural Alaska. He came on board. All of a sudden, we were legitimate. Because um, a lot of the the gap we had to jump over was the belief gap. We could sit down. If I could sit with you for a half hour, I could convince you this was better. What I couldn't do is convince you it was possible. And so as these as these people came on, and we saw that in the election results. Um, for example, Kodiak is uh, one of the one of the House districts in Alaska, Republican district represented by a Republican, although she's pretty moderate. Crusty fishermen, you know are are we going to get them on board with high-minded election reform? And their representative, Louise Stutes, endorsed us. And lo and behold, on the absentee ballots start coming in, we're taking 75% of them. So wow. we sort of, we got thought leaders, we got people who people trusted, and that was enough for us to get the foot in the door that one, it was good, and two, it was possible. And that, I mean, if there's a way we built the win, it really was through coastal and rural Alaska through those validators. Hmm. Jason, what do you think? I think I'll add um, one of the uh, pivots this summer that really, I think, piqued the normal Alaskans' interest in this is during a debate or during some newspaper editorials, um, both parties, especially on the Republican side, the party leader said, you know, if this passes, this will put political parties in Alaska extinct. And people kind of said, that that doesn't sound too bad to me. I just, you're, you know, you're kind of... Alaska, who just is the independent, who just wants to, you know, have good neighborhood and good education and a good job, who doesn't really think about politics and thinks party politics are, you know, it's just uh, it's about keeping power, you know, et cetera. When they said that, I think kind of said, okay, tell me more. What? How? How does this? Uh, how does this actually impact me? And how will this give me more power? And that kind of gave us the opening to talk to normal people who who maybe don't think about politics all the time to say, okay. If, if, if parties are kind of the, the gatekeeper or kind of the challenge to success, what we what we want to uh, what we deem to be successful as a governance um, in our state capital, if they're out of the way, that sounds like a good thing. And that was kind of a you know a, a, I think a uh, you know a a quote that got utilized to a lot of people going, yeah, I'm not red or blue. And so this sounds like something I can get behind. Tell me more. Maybe I'll check out the website. Or when I see the ad, I'll at least listen this time. And that was, you know, it's something obviously we can't, uh, we didn't know was coming. You know, we didn't, uh, we can't plan for. But it really was true. I think it, I mean, when you, when you look at what the reform was trying to do, it was saying, 
look, party bosses, you can't, you know, um, you know, carve out who you want as a candidate just because they're the most Republican or most Democrat. Um, people who want to run are going to get to run and they're going to uh, get the same same platform and same uh, you know voice that you have. Or as a voter, you're going to have even more voice because now you get to, you know, you know, elected officials are going to have to come to you to talk about uh, the issues and, and can't just rely on slogans. And so that was kind of a, a strange uh, kind of funny pivot that happened that um, I think we, we haven't as a, as a team talked about, but it really was something that uh, kind of came out of left field that we said, let's go with it. And people really, uh, people really uh, understood what that meant. And that was, that was a, a fun, a fun way to kind of talk to conservatives and Democrats. And I should say that Alaska is no stranger to passing uh, democracy reform by the ballot. In 2016, Alaska passed automatic voter registration. Uh, it was one of the first states in the nation to do it. It was within the first, I think, I think it was the sixth in the nation to do that. So Alaska was on the cutting edge of automatic voter registration. And so this is just, you know, now Alaska is the, the, the second state um, to use ranked choice voting for state elections and, and federal elections. So it's, it's very exciting. So one last question. Um, which is, you know, how do you think this is going to affect uh, the future of Alaska politics? And do you think there are going to be more ballot initiatives uh, proposed in the coming years uh, in Alaska? Yeah, yeah. I'll, I'll say I think we are going to see uh, better and more cooperation in our legislature almost immediately. And I, I, I say that based on kind of the atmospherics um, and the fact that they, they literally have to come to the table and figure things out before we run out of money in this state. Um, but also I've had conversations with many um, representatives who've said, finally, you know, I couldn't publicly support you maybe, but like now I don't have to go through this game of, you know, one decision for the party and one for my constituents. Now I can just say I represent, you know, district whatever, and this is what they want. And so I think it's going to be a refreshing change. It doesn't mean partisanship goes away, but it means we've re we've removed all the perverse incentives that these these legislators have where they have to balance the right decision with their ability to come back again next session and make more good decisions. And those are legitimate conflicts they felt. And so I think that shift is going to be kind of almost immediate. Mm -hmm. And there's already talk about potentially Lisa Murkowski, the senator there, uh, potentially being able to buck her party more because she's not afraid of, of parts of her, her primary uh, or, you know, uh, of a primary challenge rather. Um, so that, that'll be an interesting dynamic to, to watch. Jason, what, what do you think? Uh, do you think that uh, Alaska politics will change? Uh, you know, I, I had I had similar conversations that Scott mentioned of, of people who I served with who were Republicans, even Democrats who said, I wish I could just run as an independent. That's really, I really want to do what's best based in what, you know, the, the legislation in front of me, based in data, based in analytics. But I got to have that party support when I run next time. So it's going to be really hard for me to do this. I mean, that was, those are real conversations I had. With that eliminated, now you have legislators who go, what's the best policy? What's best for Alaska? And that is incredibly freeing as an elected official to do just what's best for the state as a whole, as opposed to a party in your little district, in your little neck of the woods of Alaska. I mean, it's, I really do. I mean, I wouldn't have been involved and, and, and been a, a co-chair and volunteered my time if I didn't believe that this is going to move Alaska forward uh, with good uh, good governance out of, our, out of our state capital. So I'm excited. I really am. And, and truthfully, I'm, you know, I think we're up in Alaska. We're isolated a lot of the time. Scott and I, you know, in the past week after we've been, after we were we won this thing. I mean, I've talked to groups in Arizona, Oregon, you know, Adam yourself. I, I mean, we, we're talking to groups all over the country who are going, we're excited. Tell us more like this. Like, you know, tell us 
tell us, you know, there's no secret sauce because every, you know, location is different. But man, people are excited to go, you know, here's one state, here's two states. How do we get to five states? How do, you know, how do we, how do, you know, it not just might be RCV, but other reforms. I think people uh, really are inspired by this. And, and I think um, we haven't really fully swallowed that yet in, uh, as a team. It's, it's pretty exciting. And it's, you know, we love talking about it, but it's also exciting to, uh, to see what other states want to do. And hopefully this is a springboard to a lot of different places doing similar, similar reforms. Yeah, I mean, I, I think that we were all watching this uh, from the lower 48 and, and crossing our fingers because it, it is a big deal, guys. I mean, it really is a big deal. Um, and, and I do think that we're going to see a proliferation of, of more of these creative ballot initiatives across the country. I mean, we've already seen it in 2016, 2018. And ranked choice voting, uh, you know, is just becoming more and more of a popular idea. Um, and, and I think that, um, you know, what Alaska showed is that, uh, you know, it's not just a popular idea, but it's one that can be enacted into law. Um, so any, any final thoughts, Scott, Jason, before we, we sign off here? Um, you know, not too much. I just, I think I would say, you know, every state's different, but, you know, reach out, you know, we, we have, you know, I'm not saying we've got the, uh, the answer to any state's particular problems, but I think what we put together is going to be remembered as a toolbox that lets voters solve their problems. And I think when you look at the reforms like that and you don't say, well, this will help the right, this will help the left, but really just about making it work in a, in a rat, you know, just rationality, um, you know, this combination of reforms having looked across the country might be the most rational, um, attack on uh, political dysfunction that we've seen in the country. And we're really hopeful that it catches on. Right. Jason. Final thoughts? Yeah, you know, I think um, for people who are involved with, uh, you know, politics in their local, in their localities, uh, city, state, whatever that means, just, you know, to ask people, you know, is this working for me? Is this working for my neighbor? Is this working for my city? Um, you know, are we, are we, you know, just ramming our heads against the wall over and over and over because of the system that we currently have? If that's the answer, you know, is there a better path forward? You know, our uh, our committee's name was Alaska for Better Elections. It wasn't Alaska for Perfect Elections. It was just better. There has to be something that we can do to improve it for for the people who live in our state. And so, um, you know, we found a, a system that worked uh, within our constitution and that was, uh, you know, going to lead to, um, you know, better governance. You know, that's the goal. And, um, you know, I think if people want to, um, you know, change the dynamics in a, in a positive force, uh, it's definitely possible. And, uh, you know, Scott and I and, and all the other people on the, on the team love talking about it. And we'd love to talk to others if people have questions. And uh, uh, hopefully, hopefully we hear from more people and, and get people inspired to, to do what's next. Well, I hope our listeners took a little inspiration uh, from you guys today. So Jason, Scott, thank you so much for joining us today. Uh, I encourage our listeners to, to look up more about uh, Measure 2 and, and how it's going to change Alaska politics. So uh, thank you guys so much. Thanks a lot, Adam. This has been another episode of Another Way. See you next time. Mm-hmm.